China poses the most formidable foreign challenge we face. But in my view, our most formidable challenge to this most formidable challenge is domestic. It is ourselves. Or more specifically, it is our ruling class, those seated atop the commanding heights of our most influential institutions, from Harvard to Hollywood, Seattle to Silicon Valley, and Wall Street to Washington, D.C. So we've had a theme of starting at the Cold War, and I'll talk a little bit about the Cold Civil War that we face here. The very people who see events like this and their participants as dangerous to democracy rather than essential exercises if we are to restore some semblance of a republic. Now, I chose to focus on the ruling class today not because there aren't a slew of other aspects to the China challenge worthy of exploration, some of which we've already addressed here. These are critical topics, economic, military, technological competition, and beyond, meriting substantial focus if we're to defend our national interest. But as a practical matter, it will be near impossible to implement and execute any such plan if every power center in the country is averse to it because their denizens have conflated China's self-interest with their own, serving at best as unwitting agents of influence for Beijing. And that is the result, in my view, of the last 50 years of US-China policy. The ultimate influence operation has been cast, using our greed, naivete, and the nature of our elites and their institutions against us. If we hope to triumph, to prevail, a precondition is not only that the elements of US national power be as robust as possible, but that those at the helm will have the will to wield them in defense of the American way of life. And it's clear we're far from that today. Combating the China challenge, therefore, requires overcoming an American ruling class whose zealotry for globalism, environmentalism, and wokeism, pillars of the new secular state anti-religion, collectively serve as one big euphemism for China first, for strengthening China, our greatest adversary, and weakening America, scourge of the earth, conceived in sin, and brimming today with semi-fascists. A ruling class that, again, has been literally and figuratively invested in China's rise for nearly 50 years. A ruling class that threatens to make its belief in the inevitability of China's rise to preeminent world power a self-fulfilling prophecy. A short-sighted one, I might add, given the elites who would propel China to the number one position would likely be the first ones lined up and shot the following day. And a ruling class that may never give us a chance to getting around to combating communist China if it continues to converge with it increasingly aping the CCP's tactics in a bid to subjugate the deplorables and cement its power and control, eviscerating liberty and justice, and with it, threatening to render America, America in name only, or post-America. In short, we can't talk about the China challenge without acknowledging the elephant in the room, that the very people who for decades helped create this Frankenstein's monster, as Richard Nixon some decades ago lamented might rise, remain in power. That is, how can we expect to achieve a different outcome when the people who are in charge are the very ones who got us into this mess in the first place? The same people who worked for six years and counting to destroy the greatest challenger to communist China's hegemonic ambitions, the person who oversaw this radical reorientation of our policy, Donald J. Trump, qui bono? The same people who helped bury the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop defending patriarch Joe, who has supported China's rise at the highest levels of power for years, from the time he chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to his time as vice president and now in the Oval Office, while his family, and therefore the big guy at minimum, indirectly profited. Once again, qui bono. 
Also note that central to the effort to get Trump and then to protect Biden was the claim of nefarious collusion with Russia in the former case and nefarious disinformation from Russia in the latter case. With all the focus on Russia, I ask once more, qui bono? Now to be fair, the China challenge would remain were our ruling class Cotevillian in its approach to the world or Washingtonian if it adhered to the foreign policy of John Quincy Adams and the bulk of our leaders for the first century of US history. The challenge would remain where a ruling class doggedly devoted to pursuing the interests of the American people and the American people alone. And the challenge would remain where a ruling class wise and virtuous steeped in Athens and Jerusalem. That is, even if our betters or worsers, as I like to say, were national conservatives, communist China would still pose a threat to the American way of life and compel our attention. The 95 million plus strong ruling CCP is deathly serious about protecting, preserving, and growing its power and ruthlessly committed to pursuing it, threatening our interests. The CCP has no qualms about lying, cheating, stealing, and massacring if need be to achieve its ends. And it is uniquely suited to penetrate, exploit, and subvert those countries with which it interacts, especially relatively free and open ones. It may not be omnipotent. Its military might fail under duress. It really hasn't been tested, certainly not by the US in recent decades. Its leaders could end up at each other's throats. It suffers from corruption, and demographics might well doom it. But if nothing else, its leaders appear to know what they want and appear willing to stop at nothing to achieve it, to make China the world's hegemon, which would be a disaster, again, for the American way of life. And our elites seem all too willing to oblige it with rare exceptions. They're most responsible for fueling communist China's rise to our greatest adversary, incorporating them into the global trade, military, and diplomatic architecture. Their decades-long project of engagement, accommodation, and integration has left them and us compromised, stuck in a precarious panda hug. The more we have embraced China, the greater its leverage has grown over us. Every interaction has proven corrupting for us, not liberalizing for them. And consider the extent of the capture. American universities take in billions of dollars in tuition money from Chinese nationals and accepts billions in gifts from Chinese sources. China has targeted and penetrated our academic and research institutions to pilfer our crown jewels. Confucius Institutes, as Sumatra mentioned, persist. They've basically rebranded. Hollywood is heavily invested in Chinese productions and vice versa, an area that was once influential in producing American propaganda in the most positive sense now often tows the CCP's favored line while helping it project its propaganda around the world. Newspapers take millions of dollars every year in ad money to run Chinese mouthpiece inserts. You're no doubt aware of big tech's dalliances with China big and small, from Apple's $275 billion deal with Chinese authorities to help build its tech sector, to Amazon's barring of negative reviews on a collection of Xi Jinping's speeches. Wall Street advises, underwrites, and manages Chinese assets while Chinese companies continue tapping our capital markets and enjoying investments from unaware, often unaware, Americans via their 401ks and pensions. And then, of course, there's Washington, D.C. Need I again invoke the name Joe Biden or mention Dianne Feinstein or Eric Swalwell when it comes to compromise? Here was a headline from just a few days ago, the kind that's commonplace if you watch this space. Pentagon-funded former Chinese government employee, CCP members' nuclear warfare research. And it goes on to read, 
the former Chinese government employees, completed the DOD grants at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, while CIA director, current CIA director, William Burns, was the think tank's president. That perfectly illustrates the level of the compromise. How in 2022 are we talking about a situation like that? Of course, even if members of Congress and in the administrative state and a president, of course, were stalwart China hawks, they'd still face pressure from powerful constituents we've already discussed to ease up. All you have to do to understand the extent of elite capture is to consider the contrast in reaction the day after a hypothetical Chinese attack on Taiwan versus Russia's incursion into Ukraine. I imagine it would be substantially different among our ruling class. And as noted, we have an elite not only wholly infiltrated and corrupted by communist China, but that increasingly seeks to emulate it in a bid to defend its own regime. As I've been chronicling over the last two years, our ruling class has cast dissenters from its orthodoxy as traitors and terrorists, and threatened to, and in some cases is, actively sicking the national security and law enforce enforcement apparatus upon them, persecuting them. It's pursuing a monopoly on narrative through pervasive censorship. And its putatively private sector allies are engaging in increasingly brazen acts of cancellation, deplatforming, and discrimination. The National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism, the Stalinist January 6th Select Committee, and other elements of the January 6th Jihad, and the now debunked but still effectively functioning Disinformation Governance Board, remember that, part and parcel of a government effort to combat dissent under banner of combating mis, dis, and malinformation, are testaments alone to the eerie parallels, at least directionally, between our regimes and the CCP's. This is setting aside the cultural Marxist march through the boardroom and the classroom, wherein people, are in, wherein people are increasingly made to sign loyalty oaths, in effect or in practice, to advance in American life, engage in struggle sessions, and publicly submit to wokeism. We increasingly have a Chinese social credit system with American characteristics. So what is to be done? It's easy to observe all these problems, much harder to prescribe solutions. But I'd humbly submit that we have to operate on two levels. We have to try to achieve what we can with what we have, which means developing a counter elite who can determine the most impactful and efficacious moves that must be made to defend America's vital national interest in the face of China and a rod and rolling class, to communicate these solutions and engender widespread political support among an American people that's already favorably disposed towards our view. And we have to be undertaking the much bigger project of trying to reorient the elite itself, if not ultimately replacing it with the burgeoning counter-elite. The China challenge is really a manifestation of the NatCon challenge, to remake our institutions according to a superior vision. This is an uphill battle, but remember, our progressive friends were a smaller, less powerful fringe group a century ago, and today their long march is nearly complete, if not completed. Let me close with a few words about the vision because it may inform the counter-elite strategy. Our vision must be focused first on independence, precisely what we stand to lose in a China-first world. What would independence look like? A capacity to produce and deliver essential goods and services without the help of any other nation. Free and open waterways over which to trade. A communications infrastructure hardened against our worst enemies unchallenged economic, military, and technological primacy, a deterrent all of its own against all manner of threats. And all of this based on a vibrant, thriving, dynamic American culture rooted in a virtuous and patriotic people. Independence, in other words, requires an America that is great and good, 
one that has a willingness to thrive and a confidence in its mission, values, and history. Ensuring that independence will require boldness, originality, and courage, quintessentially American traits. If we are not fully independent, we will be dependent. And no American should be able to look their children or grandchildren in the eyes and comfortably accept that they might have to endure such a fate. It's time to declare that independence from the CCP, rise to the occasion, and honor those who came before us, lest we lose this great country. If we are to triumph over China, we must be, once again, America. Thank you.